It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. Bring it on. Happy uh, Tuesday, my friend. What do we got? The sport hole. Push, 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 push. Down to the first possession, back in the game, and he's loose again. Edwards off and running. Welcome back, Donovan Edwards. 46 yards. All right, buddy. Michigan's back, baby. What are your thoughts? Very painful. Never liked Michigan. Nobody likes Michigan except uh, Big Ten people. And not just Ann Arbor people. I'm talking Big Ten fans who, like Northwestern, were rooting for Michigan last night. Iowa fans, everybody, except probably Ohio State. Michigan and the Big Ten, they stick together. Big Ten has a chip on their shoulder. They're perceived to not be as good as the SEC because they haven't been for years, and they proved that they were last night. Here's Paul Feinbaum on uh, the Greeny Show. He's asked what I thought was a great question by Jeff Saturday. If Georgia was in that four, who's hoisting the trophy last night? Michigan. I Whoa. have said all along I thought Get Georgia was wow. the in the country, but after, after last <laughs> night, Coward. Uh, I Who changed are? my mind. And listen, hey, I say this to Georgia. If you wanted to be the champion, beat Alabama. Quit quit losing to them. And and ultimately the best team is the national champion. Booger, can you believe this? This is this is a moment unlike anything I've ever SEC heard. They're gonna lose their minds in the southeastern part of the country. Paul Feinbaum just said Michigan was better than Georgia. Good for Feinbaum. You answered the question correctly. Way to go. Because that is opposite of what he always says. Here's what I want to say about Harbaugh, and I I talked about it in the shower thought, Larry, which is this is a very unique championship. Um, Throughout the whole college football playoff era of college football, the teams that have won have had top five recruiting classes. They've had Tua Tonga-Vailoa. They've had Trevor Lawrence. They've had Joe Burrow as their quarterback and other guys, these Ohio State star quarterbacks. That level of guy... Or they've had a semi-good guy like Stetson Bennett the last couple years, but then a bunch of NFL draft picks on the other end. Michigan doesn't have any first-round projected draft picks for the upcoming NFL draft. Not one in the first round is projected to go in the first 32 picks. Georgia last year had five. They had five guys taken from their defense in the first round of the NFL draft. It's not that Harbaugh and Michigan didn't have a bunch of good players and stars and stuff like that. As I mentioned before, they had two five-stars on the roster. Georgia had 15 last year. Um, They have good players. The amazing thing... It would have been more amazing had, had Washington beat Michigan, right? But both of those teams, regardless of who won, set a... A record in the college football playoff era of a team winning the national title, and Michigan did it. And I think part of it is with the dilution of the transfer portal and the NIL and stuff like that. But when it comes to just raw, on-paper talent that guys in fanny packs tell us about the stars players have and how good these teams are on paper and who the best team is, Michigan wasn't close to Texas. They weren't close to Alabama or Georgia. Uh, they're a top, not even a top 10 team when it comes to that talent evaluation. 
This is why you give Harbaugh a ton of credit. This is the most coach giving the coach credit championship that I can think of in the last, you know, 15 years. I'd have to go back to the BCS era to figure this out. But when you look at all of Saban's championships, he just had better dudes than the other team enormously, just overwhelmingly had better players. Same with Georgia the last couple years. Same with LSU when they won. Insane roster when Urban won at Ohio State. Same deal. You can maybe go back to the Cam Newton-Auburn team where they had Cam, who was Superman, but I don't know how good the rest of that roster was. In fact, that's probably the team you have to go back to. But they at least had a elite next whatever all-world guy at quarterback. Harbaugh didn't even have that. He had a this J.J. McCarthy who didn't make any mistakes. He had 10 completions in the game. He threw for less than 3,000 yards this year. It was a, I know it's a run-oriented offense and a trenches-oriented team, but what Harbaugh was able to do was to come in with the, with the khakis and the 1970s personality and wanting to change Michigan back to how it was when Schembechler was there, and I never thought it would work. I was so wrong about Harbaugh. And Michigan, I thought they were going to get smoked by Alabama, um, and I thought they were going to lose last night. I kept saying yesterday on the show they haven't played a quarterback all year long, including McCord at Ohio State. They played nobody in the pre-conference schedule. They played nobody in the conference schedule. Iowa, you know, their quarterback, nobody in the Big Ten can hold a candle. Maybe Tongo Vailoa at Maryland, who actually kept it at a pretty good game against Michigan. But he hadn't faced an elite quarterback all year, not even a great quarterback all year. I thought Penix was going to blow them away with his ability to throw the ball down the field accurately. Wasn't the case. Penix was terrible. He couldn't make a completion down the field to save his life. He was pressured a little bit. In the the second half, he was hit a lot. But for the most part, um, he was inaccurate in key situations. But also, Michigan's secondary was just there. Nobody was open down the field. So it's hard to blame Penix for having a bad game because nobody was open. Michigan was just better defensively, and I thought they were better coached. I was really uh, disappointed in in DeBoer, who was kind of boring last night. Um, I was kind of counting on him to be the offensive mastermind, the dice roller, the guts going down the field, no hesitation stuff. And he went for it on fourth down in the red zone to make it a seven-point game, and they converted. Penix made a nice throw on his second read to score. But overall, Washington's offense was not dynamic at all, and a big part of that was because of how good Michigan's defense was. But Harbaugh gets a ton of credit for me for winning that for winning the title this year. Ton of credit. Um, other places I was wrong. I went. I, I said I'm going with the. Yesterday I said I'm going with the quarterback, Larry. I said I'm going with. It's going to be a one score game. It's going to be a last drive situation. I trust Penix more than McCarthy. I was dead wrong about that. This makes eight of the last ten championships where the better defense wins the game. doesn't matter how good the quarterback is. The better defense wins the game. I went through the list yesterday of it's amazing that in most championship games, the star quarterback doesn't win. 
They go to the title. It doesn't matter if it's the Bama guy or the Clemson guy or whoever. Usually the better quarterback doesn't win in the national title, at least in the last 10 years that we went through. And that was the case again yesterday with Penix going down. Very disappointed in Penix. And I think he did damage to his draft whatever stock as well. Anything else with Harbaugh that we can apologize for what we were saying about Michigan and Harbaugh for the last couple months, Larry? Do you have anything on that? No. On a on a bright note, it's always depressing when it's the last college football game of the year because that's the best thing in the world and now it's over. But the bright thing is the tyrants are dead, Larry. That was the last day. Yesterday was the last day where the tyrants of college football rule. It is now a league. There's actually a league now. With this 12-team playoff, a school like Utah and a school like BYU should be jubilant today. Because really, up until this new phase of the college football world where there's a 12-team playoff, Teams like Utah and teams like BYU were masquerading like they were Power 5 teams and had a chance to win the same trophy that Alabama and, you know, uh, Georgia win. But they didn't really. We all knew it. They had no chance of winning that trophy. They had no chance at really getting to the playoff even. Now, with the 12-team playoff, this is a bright day for those mid-tier Power 5 teams and even Group of 5, upper-tier Group of 5 teams because you can play in the playoff next year, especially if your teams like BYU and Utah who play in a crappy conference like the Big 12 now with Oklahoma and Texas leaving where anybody can win that conference next year, including Utah. BYU might be a stretch, although they got uh, Gary Bohan in the transfer portal a couple weeks ago. I think that is a is an awesome get for them. And so BYU fans have, I think, some optimism going into next year. And everybody does in the Big 12. Anybody can win that conference. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a new world, Larry. New world. Tyranny died last night. And it was great that an SEC team didn't win, even though it sucks that, that you know Michigan had to win. I was really pulling for, for Washington. I know you were too, right? Yes. All right, anything else on that one, Lawrence? All right, next topic. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. Two-minute drill. Presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. To the five, to the two, diving, touchdown! Point per game leaders in Region 9 uh, basketball. we got six games on our family of networks coming to you this uh, week. we got... Three on Wednesday, three on Friday, Larry. Me and Rustin, uh, Carrick, Andy Griffin will be bringing you the action. We've got uh, Casey Winters, our Region 9 uh, expert, who will come in Thursday to break down some Region 9 hoops, talk about uh, some film of a specific player. Here are the uh, point-per-game leaders as of now. Nash Schroeder, 24.2 points a game for Pineview is number one. I don't think that's a big surprise. I would I think most people would have thought it'd be Mackey. Mackey's only two points behind him at 22 points per game, coming off that 35-point epic performance in their first region game last Friday against Crimson Cliffs. He had the buzzer-beating 
three-point shot. Love Mackey's game. Love Schroeder's game. I haven't seen, let's see, I've seen uh, Pineview once live. I'll see him again this week. And he is, we broke him down with Casey a couple, few weeks ago. Is so fun to watch because he's kind of a point guard slash off guard, going to the rim, mid-range game, three-point shooter, scrappy on the perimeter, does it all for Pineview. And I think uh, watching him go up against these premier uh, guards on other teams in Region 9 is going to be a lot of fun this year. After Mackey at 22 points, you got Kyle Lemke at 20.7. And Dixie's flying all over the dang country, Larry. Just playing everybody. Taking on all comers, playing these teams from California. They're, you know, killing it so far in Region 9 as well. And Lemke, by the end of the season, I don't know when this will happen, but it's anticipated he will become the all-time leading scorer at Dixie High School. I don't know when it's going to happen. We need to get an update from Coach Roberts on how close uh, Kyle is. That's a pretty amazing feat. Think about the the age of Dixie High School, all the players and talent and how good they've been. Uh, Lemke is on pace to break the record, so that's great. So Lemke's third. Then you got Eli Allred uh, fourth, 18.2 points a game. Love Eli's old man, old school mid-range black mamba game. Phenomenal phenomenal to watch, making shots from the elbow, back to the basket, fadeaway jump shot. Love Eli Allred. And then Sean Feltz just behind Eli at 18.1 points a game for Crimson Cliffs. Another old school. Love his game. 6-11. He was so good against Snow Canyon last week. Baby hook shot, going baseline, hitting jumpers in key moments from the elbow. He'll shoot it from the short corner. He'll shoot a corner three every once in a while, I think, Lawrence. He didn't shoot any of those uh, last game. But uh, Sean Feltz is a beast and a rim protector. And watching him and Lemke, they got one more chance to play each other in region is going to be another uh, really fun matchup. There you go, Larry. Two-minute drill. We're going to change the audio on that clip. That's Carrick doing a football call. Uh, still well into uh, basketball season. All right, let's do uh, let's do the next topic, I think, right? I think we're ready for the next one. Fans Eye. Please welcome one of Southern Utah's esteemed sports fans into the sport hall. All right, Fans Eye is brought to you by Fabulous Freddy's. Check out Fabulous Freddy's. Right now, you can get unlimited car washes at Fabulous Freddy's for only $9.99 a month. It's an incredible deal. Fabulous Freddy's, Bluff Street and River Road here in St. George. Who do we got today, Larry? Go ahead when you're ready. Love answering the questions of the fans. Hey, Sporty and uh, Larry, what's going on? Um, do you like Bohannon going to BYU? What do you think of Piggy going to Utah State? <laughs> I was surprised by that. Does he think he's going to start? Seems like they already got a bunch of quarterbacks. What are your thoughts? Who was that, Lawrence? Did you get a name on that? No. Um, sounded familiar. I don't know who that was. Let's start with uh, let's start with Bohannon going to BYU. This is fantastic. I didn't talk about it yesterday, but this happened a couple weeks ago, and this is the mo of 
Brigham Young University, quarterback you. They go and get people, Larry. They respect the position. They've got guys on. They got Retzloff back. They've got uh, Ryder Burton. They've got, um, oh, jeez. They've got the Hagen kid. But they clearly aren't satisfied. And this is the attitude that every school that Utah needs to have, but Utah doesn't have this mentality, which is let's just go and the quarterback's the most important position. BYU knows that. And they go and stock up on quarterbacks. And Bohannon is, you know, kind of a proven entity. This is a guy that they play when he was at Baylor. He lost the job to Shapen at Baylor. And and Aranda went to him and said, hey, in the transfer portal era, by the way, Larry, which is why I love Dave Aranda, went to Bohannon and said, you ain't going to start. It would have been to Aranda's advantage to say, hey, this is a tough, like what Kiffin does with his quarterbacks, which is lie to them and say, hey, you might be our guy. Keep going. Stick around after spring ball. Stick around through the summer. Then week one, guess what? You're on the bench. Aranda went to Bohannon after spring ball and said, you're not going to be the starter. I won't, you know, I won't hate you if you look elsewhere. You're good enough to go start at other places. And he went to USF, and I think I don't think was very great, but he was at USF. Now he's going to BYU, and I think he'll. Right now, I think he's the most talented quarterback on the on the roster coming back. I mean, Retzliff was was cute for a while, but um, I don't think BYU fans are very excited about him. I know Ryder Burton is was in his true freshman year last year. I don't know who the heck it's going to be after that, but I think Bohan is the best guy. So that's, I think that's awesome for BYU. And it shows that the, their program's approach to quarterbacks is better than Utah's. Because Utah's like, oh, we got Cam Rising, who who's playing on f- two fake knees and he gets injured every other series. We're just going to ride with him and then we'll have Piggy behind him. And then, oh, what? Surprise, surprise, Cam isn't going to play all year, and all you got is Piggy. BYU wouldn't let that happen. They went and got Slovis last year, a mediocre but at least a proven Power 5 entity, and they're doing something similar with Bohan in this year, it looks like. Um, What was the second part of the... Oh, a Piggy, yeah. Bryson Barnes is going to Utah State, Larry. Now, we love Bryson Barnes... What I don't understand is it seems to me like Utah State has a bunch of quarterbacks. Laga, Hillstead, and another guy. And if I'm the pig farmer, I'm saying I wanna play and I wanna be the I wanna be the man and I wanna start somewhere. And if I need to go to Utah Tech to do that, I'll go to Utah Tech to do that. Or I'll go to Weber, or I'll go to SUU. Basically, I'll go play FCS football. But apparently, the the pig farmer's too good for that because he, you know, he's played in the Rose Bowl a couple times and he beat USC. He's like, I ain't gonna go play in the FCS. This Mountain West school is gonna be grateful to have me. But the, he, he's not good enough in my mind to beat out either of the guys they have. So it's interesting. I think he must be going there thinking he's gonna start. 
but I don't think he's he's close to as good as uh, as Hillstead or or Lagaz. Lagaz is going to be the guy, right? So, very curious by the pig farmer. Maybe he like he seems like a Logan kind of guy with the, with his pigs and stuff. He fits in in Cash Valley, but doesn't he want to play? So you either go somewhere where you're guaranteed to play or you stay on the Power 5 program where you're a couple heartbeats away from maybe getting in as the third string guy or whatever. And knowing Utah, you'll probably be the second string guy again next year because Whittingham doesn't respect the quarterback position. Larry, thank you. Anything else on that, Lawrence? I'm happy for Barnes. I love Barnes. I just don't think he's any good. And I think he's insulting the Mountain West by assuming he can just go show up and play at Utah State. And I think Aggie fans are insulted, too. I think they think they're too good for the pig farmer. So. All right, let's see. What else we got? to the sport hole. You can write to the sport hole at 93776. All right, letter to the sport hole is brought to you by the Matt Hickman Lending Team, powered by Academy Mortgage. Check out the Matt Hickman Lending Team, top 1% mortgage originator in the country right here in your backyard in southern Utah. Right, instead of uh, answering a letter, we wrote a letter, right, Larry? Yes. So, we'll do that now, right? Yes. All right, what are you waiting for? I mean, am I waiting for you? Or are you waiting for me, Lawrence? Are you waiting for me? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Dear Coach Harbaugh, congratulations on returning the maize and blue back to glory. I'm sure if Coach Schembechler was still alive... He'd be very proud of what you've done, even though you cheated to do it. I don't care about that, and I know you don't either. Like old Blue Eyes said, you did it your way, Jim, and you should be very proud. I know your father, who passed away a few years ago, was still there in spirit last night and was clearly welling with pride. You guys are like two peas in a pod. Anyway, it was a great season. Good luck with the Patriots next year. You're a Michigan man, Jim. Whatever that means. All the best, Andy and Lawrence. Feels good when we send those out, Larry, because I feel bad. Sometimes I say dumb stuff and I criticize, you know, Michigan and Jim and all that stuff. I don't care about the cheating at all. There's certain people, there's certain fan bases, every fan base, who is saying this this is going to be vacated, it doesn't count, especially Ohio State fans and all that stuff. Uh, means nothing to me. Who cares? It's like it's like Deflate Gate with Brady. Didn't care. They won the title. Just like Brady won the Super Bowl that year, I think. Uh, should not hamper Harbaugh's moment there. 
Here is uh, Jimbo after the game being harassed about uh, what he wants to do next year. Right? Yes. All right, go ahead. I'm from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, congratulations, Coach. Uh, there's a lot of interest in your future. I wonder if you can tell me what the chances are that the championship game might be your last one at Michigan. <laughs> My future consists of a happy flight back to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Can't wait. Harbaugh is dumb enough to go back to the NFL and take the Raiders' job or maybe take the Patriots' job if Belichick leaves and all that stuff. And I say dumb enough because only an idiot would leave a premier college football job where you're getting paid $10 million a year. You can cheat. You can uh, you can now pay players. You can go get whoever you want. And you're going to play in the Big Ten and win. I know the Big Ten's getting a little harder because Oregon and Washington are coming. Who cares about USC and UCLA? But it's still, you're guaranteed to win like 11 games a year in that crappy conference. So why would you leave that to go coach in the dog-eat-dog, grind-out NFL where your life flashes before your eyes every Sunday and every year? It's more likely than not you're going to get canned on Black Monday. Why would you do that? And the reason is because he got he has got to catch up to his brother, and his dad loves it. Harbaugh's dad, Jack, loves Jim more than he loves John, but John has the Super Bowl, so Jim feels like, oh, I've got to go do that now. I got to go coach the Bears or something, so I can try to get a Super Bowl. I mean, what a ridiculous! Somebody's got to go to Jim and just shake him. His wife, the spirit of his father, somebody, shake him. Don't go. Stay at Michigan. You're a Michigan man, Jim. You should stick around. Don't go to the NFL. All right, we got some character texts, Larry. Yes. All right, let's rapid fire through these a little bit. Run a little tad behind. What do you got? All right, buddy. Michigan's back, baby. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? All right, next question. Sorry. How could you be so wrong about BYU basketball? Well, uh, BYU's good. They're ranked. They're 18th in the country going into tonight's game against Baylor. I think, Larry, if you're fair in your criticism of me being an idiot, um, I think I was primarily talking about going through their conference schedule because they're in a really good basketball conference in the Big 12. They won some good games in the in the pre-conference schedule like San Diego State and others. They lost to Utah. They played some fluff. But I, I think I was talking primarily about the Big 12 because the Big 12 is so good. So... If they finish in, like, the top six of the conference this year, it's a grand slam, home run, Pope, all this. With this roster in this conference, they lost to Cincinnati by 11, and Cincinnati's a lower-tier Big 12 team. This game on the road in Waco tonight, which you can hear on our sister station, 890 KDXU, will be very telling with how good they actually are. 
They're 18th right now in the country, which is insane. Because I don't think they're that good. But they're better than I thought they were going to be to this point. So I will take it. I'll take your crap there, Lawrence. Next uh, character text. Larry, what do you got? Whose side are you on in the Kimmel versus Rogers fight? Can- well... It seemed to me Rogers came out today on the McAfee show, and you don't have this audio, Larry? No. So Kim or, or Rogers came out last week. Everybody's seen this, so I don't want to dwell on it. But Rogers comes out and says Kimmel doesn't want the Epstein list to come out. Clearly insinuating he thinks Kimmel's going to be on the list. Which Kimmel goes off on him for a false accusation that makes him look horrible. Then Rogers today on McAfee says, I wasn't insinuating Rogers was going to be on the list. I was just saying, if the list is released, it's going to make Kimmel look bad because Kimmel never thought there was a list. So my thing with Rogers is you clearly are BSing. You're clearly moving the goalposts there. It was so obvious when you said it, you were you were implying that uh, Kimmel was on this horrifying uh, Epstein list, right? So... Uh, Kimmel went after him last night. We don't have the audio of that. You've heard it everywhere else and on social media anyway. And just peppered Rogers and called him an idiot and how he's from a community college and stuff, which I resent. And a bunch of other things. So I, I don't know. It's a toss-up. I think Rogers cheated and changed the goalposts on that. So I blame him for that. All right. Last one. You come up with a team that can compete in Rashard Mendenhall's challenge? Okay, so I missed this. I was talking with a buddy yesterday during the national title. I missed Richard Mendenhall's tweet from a couple weeks ago. Quote, this is Richard Mendenhall, the former great fighting Illini running back, Larry, from my home, from the land of Lincoln, baby, who then was with the Steelers and wherever else, says on Twitter, and I don't have the full context, but this this tweet will give us enough to go through uh, to answer your question. Mendenhall says, quote, I'm sick of average white guys commenting on football. Y'all not even good at football. Can we please replace the Pro Bowl with an all-black versus all-white bowl so these cats can stop trying to teach me who's good at football? I'm better than your goat, he says. Here's what I want to say. I was going through it with my buddy yesterday, and the white team is going to lose, but it ain't bad. You got Burrow at quarterback. You've got whatever five offensive linemen, fine. You can you can have you can go to the whites for offensive linemen. You got Kelsey at, at tight end, that's pretty good. You run into some problems at wide receiver, right? I need Burnsy and Max in here to help me with this, but you got Cooper Cup. You've got uh what's his name? Ah uh, I gotta ask this question to Birdsey and, and Max because I'm running out of whiteies already on offense. Oh, you got you got uh, McCaffrey at running back. That's pretty dang good. And then defense, you just got you got a bunch of edge rushers and the Bosa's and T.J. Watt. I know T.J. just got hurt. Um, linebacker, you, you obviously are screwed in the secondary. I mean, you're going to give up a lot of yards, but. On first glance, it's like, yeah, he's right. But on second glance, it's like the white the white team could keep it within forty or fifty. Next topic, Larry. I, I live for radio and then television and podcast of the week. All right, this is uh, oh, this is good. This is David Mamet, who uh, David Mamet 
wrote The Untouchables, Larry, which you haven't seen because you're 12 years old, but uh, the one with Al Capone, with uh, De Niro as Capone, and it has uh, Costner is uh, Elliot Ness. It's a great movie. And here's some uh, advice he gave to, to young people, which I was like, that's great advice. It's a great podcast. Here you go. Stuff. The other thing is in our business, you know, I got in and I'm sure you got in the way that people used to get in. The kids showed up, whether it was you, me or some kid, some guy or some girl and said, I, I, I want to work. I want to work with you. You said, I'm, I'm not hiring anybody. Second day, I want to work with you. I'm not, I told you I'm not hiring. Like The third day, say, so go get me a cup of coffee. And the <laughs> yeah. next year, the kid is an associate producer. And the third year, <laughs> he's a director because he showed up. He got the coffee right. Right. He got the call sheet right. He stood around. He learned. He kept his mouth shut and right. eyes open. Yeah. And that's education, which is very different than schooling. That was on the Club Randa, the Bill Mars podcast with David Mamet. Loved it. In fact... Half of the coaches in the NFL these days are just guys that kept showing up. McVeigh and McDaniel and all of this young generation, they just showed up. They were film geeks. They were interns, and now they're coaches of the NFL. So if I'm talking to my 18-year-old nephew right now who's up at Utah State, and he's like, I don't know what I want to do, or I don't know what's going on, I'm like, play the long game. Be an NFL coach in 15 years. You don't know anything? Just show up. Just go to a facility, knock on the door, and just keep showing up every day. Get coffee. Become a film guy. You're getting tape. I guess it's all digital now, so I don't know exactly what you're going to do. But make it, take the garbage out and just keep showing up. Make people like you, and then it's all about relationships. And in 20 years, you'll be coaching the Rams. So I love that advice. You work for free, and uh, you can do anything. Uh so very inspiring words there by from Mammoth. Enjoyed that a lot. And I would say that to any, not just if you want to be an NFL coach, but anything. Uh, you just keep showing up. And uh, one more, Larry. we got to wrap it up. What do you got? Sporthole Restaurant Review. All right, Restaurant Review today is brought to you by our good friends at... WeWinInjuryLaw.com. If you've been in an accident, accident involving a semi-truck, been bit by a dog, all they do is win for you, period, at WeWinInjuryLaw.com. Okay, I'm reviewing Mo Betta's. And before I do my restaurant review, I'm talking about the one over by the Dino Crossing. Not the one here on Bluff Street, even though, you know, it's the same place. Here's what I want to recommend. You go in with your family... Everybody gets their own plate. They all, your, you know, your little wiener kid, nine-year-old, gets his own plate, eats 33% of it max. Because Mobetas gives you a lot of food, right? Here's what you do. You go in with your family. You get one thing. You get one plate. You don't ask your little kid what he wants to eat. You don't care. You go in. You order. You get the steak. You get the chicken, the rice, and the mac salad. And then you put it in the middle of the table, and then you all just pick at it like a herd of hyenas. You're just going at it, and it's very satisfying because you're kind of fighting each other for the food. So you eat it really, you're out of there in like three and a half minutes because you're just devouring the food. Because if you don't go fast, it's going to be gone type of deal. I've done that last couple times at Mobetta's. I got a small family, but it's still the way to go. No wasted food. The plate is picked uh, dry. Uh, you get full, and it's cheap. 
Well, Betta's probably doesn't like that idea, but... Um, and then let me tell you about the experience. The steak at the Dino Crossing Mobetas was so tender, juicy, delicious compared to the one on Bluff. It was mind-boggling how good it was. I mean, it just melted. It was just the best steak I had at Mobetas in years since I was up at Utah State going to Mobetas every weekend. This was phenomenal. So, great job, Dino Crossing. My scale is to tell you how many more times I'll go in this calendar year. It's a new year, so I got a full slate of 12 months. How many more times I'll go to Mobetas before December 31st? Larry? Nine times. It's a great score, especially if the steak keeps coming out like that, Lawrence. All right, quick break. Back with more in the sport hole right after this.